It's time for JT the Brick. So what do we want to talk about with the Raiders? With the seventh pick, the Las Vegas Raiders select. It's a big moment for this organization since they moved to Las Vegas. The first four or five picks have to be electric. They have to be great Raider players who are starters, not developmental guys with parking on the practice squad. We're done with that. We have no room for failure. JT the Brick. Oh, a reminder, I want to go all defense. 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 I want to go all defense. Because the Raiders are loaded on offense, absolutely loaded. And then their defense is vastly improved because of the draft. That's my perfect scenario. So that's what our programming is going to be like as the flagship of the Raiders over the next couple of weeks is the draft. I'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose. And that's it. Are you with me on that? And now, just win, baby. Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Fired up inside the glorious studios of the Raiders headquarters right here in Henderson. How cool is this? I'm in the building today. Love doing a radio show from here. The place is spotless. It's amazing. Cameras everywhere. We'll soon be live streaming. We just had a big meeting on Raider Nation Radio, the Raiders, what we're doing for the draft. So I've been here all morning, a couple of cool meetings, seeing what's going to happen next week, and you're all going to be a part of it on the home of the Silver and Black. And thanks for listening on the Raiders mobile app. We're brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2, If you were there to watch the Vegas Golden Knights, I hope the beer was cold. I hope you had great food because you got nothing from that hockey team last night. And by the time I'm done with this monologue, they're going to hear from me. Unacceptable performance by the flagship hockey team in this town. What a letdown for the owner, Mr. Foley, who put this whole team together with a vision to win multiple Stanley Cups. Uh, An opportunity for the season ticket holders who spent all that money and the fans here in town and the little boys and girls who play youth hockey to watch game one of an entire playoff run that hopefully someone, the captain, is hoisting the cup and the team was dead on arrival. Dead on arrival. That's unacceptable. That's terrible. You lose 2-1, you lose 3-2, you lose in overtime. We're good with that. You don't not show up at home. What, What is that? You got to show up. You got to be ready to go. They were not ready to go. You should see my text messages. I actually, I don't do this often, but the text messages that I got from four or five of my friends who were in the building last night, I can't read half of them because of the profanity, how upset they were when they left the game. Uh, We were embarrassed tonight. Can't believe the joint was this quiet. Quiet, going dead silent when it's 2-0 in the second period for first playoff game? Crazy. 17 shots in the game. <laughs> Fire everyone. A goalie play in playoffs is crucial. Plain and simple. After flurry, we're done. I don't believe this. I'm just reading my texts. Everybody who was there, bummer. I, I got 35 texts here in front of me. Just start showing up. Okay, just start showing up and sound off and be ready to go. Power play, brutal. Power play, brutal. Also, we're on our fourth goalie this year. The Winnipeg goalie's a stud. And we got only like 17 shots. Here's one. We just slept walk. Coaching. We got smoked. This would never have happened in the past. Here's one. Eichel disappears, man. He's skilled but just doesn't have it. He doesn't have the it factor. Here's another one. What a mess. So you can see as I start the show, I'm pro-Vegas Golden Knights. I need to get in that building on Thursday. I need to bring the mojo 
into that building. We need to get going here. You cannot perform like this if you're going to be a Stanley Cup contender, let alone drink from the cup. Completely terrible effort. Tip your cap. Tip your cap to, obviously, the opponent. Tip your cap, but overall, as I told you during the week, they were going to try to come in and bully the Golden Knights. They were going to try to push them around. They were going to try to embarrass them, and they were able to do it. They played bully ball, as we say, like Draymond, who I'll get to. In the NBA, they had nothing going. God, it was just incredible. Here's another one. Six guys that tried were made to look foolish for trying. It was terrible all around. I'm devastated. Big talk from the coach. Young guys must step up, must score, must show that they want the opportunity. The older guys must send a message now or get benched. Whoa, whoa. Man, everybody's going off, man. And that's what good sports talk radio is. They're doing the same thing in New Jersey with the Devils. They're doing the same thing in Toronto. Toronto, much bigger hockey town than Vegas. They're, they got to watch people from climbing stairs and going on the top of their homes and buildings there. Police are on call. Helicopters are in the air. But again, I've done my best, man. I've tried. I, I, I'm the only live, live radio sta- a show on right now live in Vegas talking, I believe, about the Vegas Golden Knights. Because I'm trying to pretend that this is a hockey town and some fans will be and sound off like you got a pair. Let's go. This is the Stanley Cup playoffs. You got to be ready to go and they weren't. Cushy at home. Cushy at home. Maybe they need to go on the road and get out of Summerlin and, and the ridges and their big homes. And maybe they need to get on a plane to Winnipeg in a hotel room and shut it down and focus again. Deeply disappointed by VGK and the no-show. A job of a sports talk radio host is to remind people when teams don't show up and then analyze why they didn't show up. Usually this team shows up. I I love this team. I'm a little bit worked up now, but I love this team, and they didn't show up at home. They were flat. You can't be flat in the playoffs. You'd be flat when the Coyotes come to town. You're flat. No, you're not flat in the playoffs. Really disappointed. We start off with the Connor goal that got the lead, and this pretty much ended that the game was over after this. From the left circle, a shot comes out in front, and Kyle Connor scores for the Jets. One-timer from the slot for Connor. Kyle Connor makes it 1-0 Winnipeg in the opening minute and 24 seconds of period two. That quick, so that gets it going because the first period... No score, a late goal was taken off, not in time. I'm good with that. Let's, Bobby, get to the Carlson goal that gave Vegas life. 2 nothing is a place you have to be, but you got to score. you got to score to cut into that league uh, while Bill was able to do it. Down the left wall, take it away. Marchessault, rink wide left, across the line. Barbashev to the middle, score! William Carlson! The Golden Knights are on the board. William Carlson has the first Vegas playoffs goal of the year. After 14 in the regular season, he has the first in the playoffs for the Knights. And out trail 2-1 with 4-11 to go in the second period. Dan Duva on all these calls as we continue on. Uh, Bobby, let's go to the power play that made it 5-1 as half the building left. And look, I get it at 4-1, 5-1. This was an embarrassing ending to a game for a dominant team at home. In front, the Jets score again, Adam Lowry. Tic-tac-toe passing for Winnipeg. They weren't content to kill the clock. They score a power play goal. Second of the night for Adam Lowry. Uh, One of my friends told me yesterday, or two days ago, going into the game, here's the text. 
Uh, they're going to have to be and expect JT Winnipeg to be very physical, intimidating the Knights. They aren't equipped for that. Get them off their speed game, especially if Marciso, Eichel, Stevenson. Bump them around a lot, shut them down, get physical, they'll, they'll, they'll shut down. That came in, boom, right off my phone, and he was right. My insider was right. The physicality, the intention to be badasses out of Winnipeg, shutting down everybody, uh, all of that. Now, Bobby, I'm getting a beautiful echo, so someone hit a button. That's off. The, the ability for someone to come in here and play bully ball at the Fortress? you got to be kidding me. So hopefully we hear from a couple of Golden Knight fans. And if I don't hear from one of you, or as they say in Goodfellas, if I don't hear from one of you guys, I don't need you. I got it from here. If you're not ready to meet my intensity down 0-1 to Winnipeg, then we'll just figure out something else. I'll get into Raider draft and all that. So we'll get going here as we get rolling. God, I'm, mm, I'm upset. I'm upset on a lot of fronts here. And we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to get into this as we get going live from the Raider facility. You show up at home when the fans are paying those prices. You show up at home and you do your job, as Bill Belichick would say, which also rumbles in this Raider facility. Do your job. You didn't do your job. The captain returned. He didn't look right. Goaltending, the defense. Defense didn't play hard. Just crazy. Absolutely unacceptable performance by our Vegas Golden Knights. That's right. Why am I in the Raider facility leading with the Golden Knights? Because they got boat raced. They got hammered and boat raced. Just got awful. You need to be better than that. Game two is a must win. Must win game two. I'll be there Thursday night. Hopefully the energy, everybody's in there earlier and get it going. And again, a lot of fans are upset. And a lot of fans were not loud last night. And a lot of fans had the right to be upset. Never boo your team. I heard some boos. I heard some boos. I've never booed my team in any sport once in my entire life. You don't boo your team. You get, you get upset. You say something. You scream, a primal scream, whatever. Don't boo your team. If you got fans in the building last night, boos, booing their team, what is that? Is this a soft hockey town? You don't boo your team. You think they boo the Canadians and the Red Wings or the Avalanche when they're not playing well? Get behind this team. You can be upset like I am. But come on, man, don't look like a tiny hockey town with inexperienced fans. Get out there and be fired up and don't boo your team. A complete disappointment last night at the Fortress. Vegas, down 0-1 in the series to a team that they're much better than, or maybe they're not. Maybe Winnipeg's coming in here with their hair on fire and they want to win. All right, I told you yesterday, God, I went to war with some Warrior fans yesterday. Oh, Warrior fans, Draymond doesn't need to be ejected. He won't get suspended. What are you talking about? He stomped some guy on the chest, Sabonis, when he was on the ground. That's a punk move. Even fighters and MMA guys, they try not to do that unless they're closing out an MMA fight. Is stomp someone when they're on the ground. Punch them when they're face-to-face. Be a man. But on the ground, oh, he grabs your ankle. Oh, he grabbed your ankle. So what? Grab your ankle out and walk and get down the court and get ready to score. And Draymond stomped them. Let's go back to the play, the ejection, which everybody was talking about yesterday in the NBA. Now watch the end of this play. As he goes out, watch him grab Draymond right there. Now that right there is where the foul came in. So he grabs Draymond's leg right there. Now Draymond steps on him. Draymond stomps on him. Tim Roy, the voice of the Warriors, joined me last night. I'm going to play that interview if I can fit it in today. 
And he admitted that Draymond deserved to be ejected, but not suspended. He was suspended because Joe Dumars and Adam Silver said he was a repeat offender. Man, I like that. I watch a lot of crime dramas. Listen to crime podcasts. You ever have those guys? They're repeat offenders. They continue to go back to jail, and you keep letting them out, and then they go back to jail again? That's Draymond from an NBA perspective with fines, ejections, and suspensions. Draymond doesn't care. Draymond cares about himself. But at times, he's been a brilliant teammate. Remember, I said his jersey's going to hang in the rafters in San Francisco at J Center. He's going to get his number retired, and he's going to get in the Hall of Fame in Springfield, Mass. There's no debate on that. But, man, there are games where he hurts his team, and he got suspended last night. So I'm on the radio last night doing my Mag Dog show, and I say to myself, my show ends at 9 o'clock Pacific time, 6 to 9, and it's about 8.45, and my producer says in my ear, check your, check your uh, screen, and I look up and Draymond was suspended for game three, and I scratched my head and I said, wait a second, why are they suspending him now at 8.45 p.m. Pacific, which is almost midnight Eastern? And it hit me. They wanted Charles and Shaq to have it. They wanted Charles and Shaq to have it after the late game so they could talk about it. Because Draymond's going to get a job. He already has one on TNT. Why didn't they drop that news this morning? Why didn't they at like 7 in the morning have Woj put it out? They put it out last night. I think NBA PR did it to embarrass Draymond. Give it to Shaq and Charles. Let them toss it around a bit, which they did. And now Draymond's out for game three. How does this sound? How does this sound if you're a Warrior fan? If the Warriors lose game three without Draymond, because he's suspended, they're down 0-3, how's it going to look for Draymond when he comes out for game four? It's the last game he ever plays for the Warriors. That's it. He's not coming back. That'll be it for him. How's that going to look, Draymond coming out of the tunnel down 0-3 in his last ever game for that franchise? Starting to look that way. If you're a Warrior fan, wake up and get rolling. All right, let's do a little Raiders radio here and what I know. I don't know who they're going to draft, nor do you. Uh, We did a mock draft yesterday. I put out my first seven picks, and I knew I was going to go. I had to figure out what cornerback I was going to take, and it wasn't hard to do it. It was either going to be Christian Gonzalez or I was going to pick Witherspoon out of Illinois. So I went toe-to-toe with uh, Bucky Brooks. So let's go Bucky Brooks versus JT. Number one, Bucky has C.J. Stroud. I have Bryce Young. Number two, Houston. Bucky has Bryce Young. I have C.J. Stroud. Number three, we both have Will Anderson, the edge rusher from Alabama. At number four, Bucky has Tyree Wilson, the edge rusher. I have Anthony Richardson, the quarterback, going to Indianapolis. At number five, we both have Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle out of Georgia. Both of us have him going to Seattle at five. At number six, Bucky has Witherspoon, the cornerback, going to Detroit. I have Wilson, the edge rusher, going to Detroit. And at number seven, Bucky Brooks has Christian Gonzalez going to the Raiders. And I have Devin Weatherspoon going to the Raiders. So we both have cornerback at number seven. So I'm not hiding my pick anymore. I was texting with Dave Ziegler today on other matters, leaving him alone. He's in full meetings today. But I will tell you this much, my pick is out there. I believe I'm one of the few people saying this throughout the Raider Nation. Raider Nation, unite! I think I'm the only one saying this that I've seen. I have the Raiders with two first-round picks. I have the Raiders taking a cornerback at seven and then flying in like Batman and Superman into the 20s of the first round and getting another player. 
a defensive tackle I would like. I don't know who's going to be off the board. So I'm not holding on to my second and my thirds and my fourths and my fifths. I'm moving up. Moving on up. I'm moving on up. I need another first-round pick on defense. I don't care about the draft next year. I see who this team has on offense. They're bleeping loaded. I need two starters in the first round. So stay at seven and get the corner. And then come in stealth and come on in when no one's looking. Jump into the 20s. Give up a second next year. Give up a third. You're going to give up your second this year, obviously. Give up another second next year. Get up into the first round and get a defensive tackle. Then we could all go home. That'll be the draft party first round. We get two first rounders. Now, will they do that? Most likely not. But that's what I think would be prudent for this team to do. Dave Ziegler last year gave up the first and second round pick to get Devontae. We've seen that he can do that. And Devontae was better than a first or second round pick combined, I believe. Now, can Dave move back and get two first round picks or move back and get another second? He might. I don't know how dire this scouting department thinks the team is. I don't know what their impression is of the roster. They might want like six picks in the first three rounds, so they might do something. But I'm suggesting be bold. Go back into the first round and get another first rounder. And I believe they have the power to do that. So let's see what they do. So the draft is a week from tomorrow. We need to hear from you now. 702-365-9200 is our number. 702-365-9200. Give me your pick. I need your pick from now to next week. Give me it. Say his name. Say his name. Put some respect on the name of the next Raider first-round pick. Who do you got? Gangster Raiders start us off on the flagship inside the building of Raiders headquarters. Go ahead. Hey, what's up, JT? I say pick in Dallas. You know what I'm saying? The cornerback. But I noticed you've left out the hockey um, that go nice or completely out your monologue. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know whoa, whoa no, no, I did 10 minutes on the monologue, so you must have missed it. Oh, I came in a little late. Yeah, okay, I did my 10 bad. minutes on that, yeah. Yeah, but they um they lost bad to the Jets. I was looking forward to meeting y'all in the next round. You know what I'm saying? But um, and while you're talking about Draymond and the um, Warriors, that's the death of a dynasty. You need to be talking about the birth of a dynasty here in L.A. with the Clippers because we finna go on to beat Phoenix and go on to the championship. But I, I agree with you of uh, picking the um, cornerback and then coming back and getting another pick later in the first. That'll be the best way, you know. Especially if Richardson is gone by the time we get there, so that'll be the best way to go. And also, as far as um, holding on the picks and everything, I think we need to, like you say, instead of holding on the second round and third round, to try mm-hmm. to pick, try, I mean, turn those into early first round or early, I mean, earlier picks. You understand what I'm saying? Cash those in instead of holding on to later round picks, but. Also, the later round picks have been gems for us because look at um, Max Crosby. He was, I think, a fourth fourth rounder, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so we got him in the fourth round, and everybody was mad about um, the Pharrell pick. I just say, just let's say Max was our fourth number four pick, and um, Pharrell was the fourth rounder. Yeah, but you got look lucky. Like you, you, they got lucky with Max. I mean, Max should have been off the board in the second or third round. Mayock was great and Gruden to identify him, so he got value in Mad Max, and a lot of that has to do with luck. If there was one other GM who knew Max Crosby, he would have took him before the Raiders, so there's a little bit of luck involved. I want to take the luck out of the draft. I want to use high picks for proven rock star players, not developmental players. I want the high players to come in here and start at Allegiant Stadium Game 1 and and improve this softer defense that we've seen the last two years. What about Nate Hobbs? Nate Hobbs was a late-round pick, too. That wasn't luck. You You can get some good players right. in the later rounds. You know what I'm saying? You just got to know your, your scouting department and, and um, 
and personnel department got to do their due diligence and we got to get them type of players. You know, so that's what I want. I just want to make sure that the staff and um, Ziegler mm-hmm. is, is able to find those gems late in, um, in the later round. Do you understand what I'm saying, JT? Gotcha. Appreciate the call. And I think Ziegler will do that. I have total confidence in him. But to be completely honest, I had a lot of confidence in Reggie McKenzie and Mike Mayock and a lot of other good GMs. Mr. Davis was the ultimate GM. Mr. Davis made most of the picks from the time he took over as general partner to right before he passed away. Appreciate the call. With all that combined, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Like Who's going to make these picks? I can tell you who's going to make it. Dave Ziegler, along with the suggestion of the coach, this GM walks alone. He leads this, this, this building I'm sitting in today. He'll make the picks, and he'll be excited about the picks, I can promise you there. Derek in Vegas. Derek, thanks for starting us off. How are you? Hey, JT. Thank you. First time. Um, I want to preface before I talk about the, the pick is if we had a great defense last year, we're talking Derek Carr, we're at the semis or the Super Bowl. That is a fact with a great defense. So our pick has to be on defense. And another thing I always thought about, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, and the last year of uh, Peyton in Denver. Average quarterbacks, great defense, great running game. And to me, it's that simple, JT. Got to have a defense. An average Trent Dilfer for Baltimore wasn't even back the next year after he won the Super Bowl. And the name of the guy in Tampa Mm -hmm. Bay, who knows, and Peyton Manning could barely throw a loaf of bread mm-hmm. and won a Super Bowl. Great yeah, defense, li- great running game. We have the running game. Defense, defense, defense. Thank I you, agree. Defense. You're speaking my language. I have my first four picks in the 2023 NFL draft for the Las Vegas Raiders. I have four defensive players going in a row, four starters. If I can get three out of four of them as starters, I'm good. I'm good because the rest of the – Defense, it's not great, but I could live with Chandler Jones, Mad Max, Spillane at linebacker, Epps at safety, Nate Hobbs, as we talked about. I got a starter, a brand new starter at corner. I got a brand new starter coming in at defensive tackle, and then a wild card starter on defense, maybe a linebacker, uh, maybe another corner, whatever it is. I don't care about this offense right now. I'd love a right tackle. Love a right tackle. And if they take one in the second or third round and he's proven to be a stud, we'll welcome him in here. I've been here a long time. This is my 25th draft coming up for the Raiders. I've seen a lot of offensive linemen get drafted throughout the last quarter century, and most of them weren't great. Bring in a Steve Wisniewski. They got Lincoln Kennedy via free agency on the move, the trade to get Lincoln here. Get some grown-ass men who are already in this league to play on the offensive line. Well, you got to develop a young kid, and that kid better be good. He better be better than Alex Leatherwood. He's not better than Alex Leatherwood. We're right back to where we were last year. No more flops. No more bad picks. No more first-round picks. you got to trade away for nothing. you got to get guys who are ready, who are angry and ready to go. As I talk to Phil Villapiano, who will, I think, join us Friday. I think I'm going to try to get Phil on Friday. Get some players in here who know how to play defense already. They played in Pop Warner High School. They had a captain on their chest in college, and now they're going high in the draft. You don't have to teach them everything. They are angry football players ready to pounce. Let's get those guys in here. Along with the offense, I think the Raiders will be really strong, or better, much better than a lot of the pundits are ripping the Raiders, saying that the season's already over. They don't have enough depth. Those are the same people that had the Broncos in the AFC Championship game the last two years. 
702-365-9200. A deep dive with Vinny Bonsignor coming up. Also, Mike North, one of the greatest sports talk hosts from all time in Chicago. He's going to join it. My conversation with Tim Roy coming up here on the show. And I'm ready to roll, man. I'm draft ready. I'm draft proven. I'm in the Raider facility on a glorious day. Join me. We are the home of the silver and black. Now back to the JT The Brick Show, and it's time to go inside the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, sponsored by Dos Caras Tequila and presented by the Realty One Group. Uh, for me, it starts with he's very smart. He's very smart. Taught me the game of football basically in the NFL, uh, but he cares too about the game. Like, he cares about winning. You could really tell just talking to him that winning is important to him, and I wouldn't say that's true about everyone in the NFL. So when you do get an opportunity like that, I mean, it's hard to pass up. It's Jimmy G talking about Josh McDaniels. They work together. Theory is they'll work great together here. If they get the playing in time, they run the right plays that they ran at practice. Should be an upgrade in the red zone. So all of that should be happening as we get going. Vinny Bonsignor joins us every week. Next week, he'll be joining us the day before the draft. Vinny, how do you think this team is feeling now? You know the GM. And as he's lining up with the scouting department, they've had a long offseason, a full one, to line everything up to have a big draft. What are you hearing? Team, and I think they're going to take every uh, second imaginable um, to, uh, to have this thing um, as close to where they want it to be and as prepared as they want to be uh, heading into uh, to, to next week's draft. And I would, I would suspect that that's going to continue uh, this week right on through the weekend um, in order to, to really be where they want to be uh, and, and have all their bases covered because there's a lot that can happen. We're hearing... Uh, that the Houston Texans may not be um, filling the whatever quarterback uh, might be at number two behind, um, you know, uh, the, the Carolina Panthers. Looks like the Panthers are leaning uh, toward Bryce Young, so they're all of a sudden wide open at number two, and maybe not in on the quarterback uh, that we thought that they were in on on C.J. Stroud. How does that change things at number three and number four? Does that change what the Raiders might do to move up, or can they? Is there is there a path available to them where they sit back at number seven? Uh, and, and, and get the quarterback that they prefer in this draft. Mm-hmm. You remember 2021, um, and I went back and looked. There was a mock draft. It was done like three days before the, uh, before the 2021 draft, and Mac Jones was mocked to uh, the San Francisco 49ers at number three. And this was the NFL, uh, NFL.com, uh, you know, what, what our, our good friends over there that did this. This was the latest mock, the last mock. Mac Jones going number three to the San Francisco 49ers. The Patriots, who absolutely needed a quarterback, sitting at number 15. Remember, Cam Newton was uh, didn't have a very good year. Uh, Jared Siddham was hurt. They obviously didn't have Tom Brady. The, 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 the Patriots needed a quarterback. Well, they sat back and were patient. And guess what happens? You know, Mac Jones doesn't go number three. He ends up going number 15 to the Patriots, who waited that thing out and got the quarterback that they preferred. Could the Raiders, a similar situation happen uh, on draft night where a C.J. Stroud maybe is actually there at number seven? If you do the, if you crunch the numbers and take a look at things, there is a path for that to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen, uh, but, but how ironic would it be if the Raiders just sat back, didn't, you know, uh, resisted any urge to give up anything to go up in the draft? Uh, and still were able to get their quarterback at number seven. 
All right. So let me ask you this. I haven't asked you this question yet, and I'm surprised I forgot. What message does it send to the NFL and this fan base if they stay at seven and get a quarterback or move up to get a quarterback? What's the message if they don't go defense with that first pick? Uh, I think the message is they found their quarterback. Um, And I don't think the Raiders are going to pull the trigger at number seven. They're definitely not going to trade up uh, just to get a quarterback. They're going to, whoever they end up selecting, um, if it's with that seventh pick or if they trade up for it, because that's who they identified as the guy that they believe is going to be the quarterback of the future and to get them where they want to go. So the message is, the Raiders just found their quarterback, and uh, they, they and that's what they decided to do. Now, there's also an argument to be made, and this will happen if the quarterback that they do not prefer is is there at seven, and they're certainly not going to trade up for just a quarterback. So, if they do go defense and and you know remain on that path through the rest of the draft, uh, and maybe get a development quarterback at some point, the message there is the Raiders are going to build out this team. Uh, they're going to roll with Jimmy G for this year, maybe next year, uh, but they will still continue the search for the quarterback of their future. So the message that they do get at a quarterback at number seven is they feel like that guy is the guy that's going to ultimately get them to the Super Bowl. Vinny Bonsignor is our guest. Uh, so, Vinny, I'm surprised. There's still a couple of mock drafts I have where the Raiders go for Skoransky. They get an offensive lineman. They want to get a player there. And I, I even we had Vinny, uh, Yesterday we had Lincoln Kennedy on. And he wanted to go offensive line with the first pick, and he wanted tight end at the third pick. And I said, well, maybe Lincoln's not that far off because we sure, li- we sure see what this team does in the offseason. They bring in an army of offensive players. Would we be shocked that in the first three picks, if they got tight end or offensive line in the second and third pick, would you be shocked? I'd be a little bit surprised if it was number seven uh, with an offensive lineman. Uh, Not necessarily so if they traded down uh, and picked up an offensive lineman, gathered some other assets that they could pour uh, into the defense uh, beyond that. But, yeah, I would be surprised if that first pick went to an offensive lineman. I think that it's either going to be a quarterback uh, or more likely uh, a defensive player that they feel could be a day-one starter and somebody that they can – you know, uh, uh, rebuild this defense uh, around and be a big part of that. So uh, I think it's, you know, if they stay at number seven and there isn't a quarterback that they prefer, uh, I think it's, it's, it's either going to be Devin Witherspoon at number seven, and if Witherspoon's not on the board, I, I could see definitely a trade down, uh, uh, maybe be able to go get a, a Joey Porter Jr. a little bit further down in the draft uh, and pick up some other assets along the way. But that's where I would be uh, right now. I would be surprised if it was an offensive lineman that early in the draft. Vinny B. joins us. So, Vinny, when do you think the draft really gets going here? Because I'm sensing number two, we're hearing some people talk about maybe Houston going defense. Let's assume they take quarterback. Quarterback goes one and two. Then we get to number three, it's Arizona. Every mock I have has got Will Anderson. And then at four, it gets really interesting because I got Anthony Richardson going four to Indy if he's available right there, and Bucky Brooks doesn't have him going until 20 to Seattle. When do you think this draft, Vinny, gets really interesting where Raider fans are going to sit up in their seat and go, whoa, here we go, we're at seven and something just happened before us? I actually think it's going to be number two, uh, JT, and I, and I think that Houston holds a lot of keys because – uh, if they go defense right there, um, and, and you know, we'll see what happens with Arizona because you, you figure that they're either going to go defense or offensive linemen if they don't trade out of that pick. Let's just say it stays as is, no trades. And Houston takes a defensive player, 
and the uh, the Cardinals take a defensive player or an offensive line, non-quarterback, basically. Now at number four, the Colts have their selection among the three remaining quarterbacks, which is a perfect situation for them because I think one of those quarterbacks is the quarterback uh, that they like. And we've been hearing a lot about Will Levis. Is that a smokescreen? Is that who they really like? Uh, you got to throw in uh, the owner, Ursay, is kind of a wild card to me in that because maybe he gets in the coaches and general managers' ears and, and helps make that call. Uh, so, and and I, I wouldn't be shocked, even if there's three other quarterbacks, including C.J. Stroud available at number five, that the Colts go with the, with the Will Levis or maybe an Anthony Richardson. Again, that's part of the path. That, that takes a C.J. Stroud uh, to the Raiders because what's the, what are the Seahawks going to do? What are the uh, you know uh, Lions going to do? Are they going to go to C.J. Stroud or are they going to go defense or, or you know an, an offensive lineman uh, there at those two picks? So I think it still gets started at Houston whether they hold on to that pick or t- take a defensive player. Uh, I think it's, it's going get, to get pretty wild after that pick. Vinny Bonsignor joins us. Vinny, with what the Raiders did bringing in all the defensive backs that they're going to have compete for positions here, is that a clue to them getting a starting defensive back? Like, I think they're going to get at number seven? Because there's a lot of guys, I'm looking at the depth, I guess a lot of guys aren't going to make the team or they're going to be on the practice squad. You can't carry this many guys in the secondary, including safety, where Epps is here in pencil in a starter already. There are a lot of depth players already in the secondary. With Nate Hobbs there, what else do they have if they go after Christian Gonzalez and he's a pencil in starter? Walk me through the rest of the defensive backfield. Yeah, it's ironic because I'm doing a story about that very thing right now. Uh, you know, Nate Hobbs solves a lot of problems. If he can bounce back... Uh, from a shaky year uh, last season and get back to being the player that he was as a rookie. There's reason for hope. You know, he was injured last year, missed six games in the middle of the season. He was making a position change from the perimeter, from the perimeter or excuse me, the slot to the perimeter, and it was a new defensive uh, system. If he can, if he can you know, uh, clear those hurdles and be a healthy player and better player in year two at, a new, at the uh, perimeter position, all of a sudden that changes things a little bit. Right now, Brandon Faison would be, you know, probably the starter uh, opposite him, or maybe it's a Witherspoon or, or Christian Gonzalez or Joey Porter Jr. Uh, when, when the draft uh, shakes out. Um, I like Tyler Hall, uh, who they brought in, um, you know, middle of, uh, of the season, worked his way up from the practice squad. I think he's got a good shot. Uh, to be the starter uh, at slot cornerback. I liked what they did with David Long uh, and Duke Shelley. I think are, th- these are young players uh, that, that have played uh, a lot of football. Duke Shelley um, graded out uh, his best season last year after moving from the slot to the perimeter. So I think there's depth there uh, as well. And then you go into the secondary. Uh, another player that could solve some problems is Trayvon Merrick uh, going into his third year. And for a lot of the same reasons that Nate Hobbs uh, creates a little bit of hope because of some of the things that, that he went through. Same exact for Trayvon Morig. Um, you know, a, a year in a new system after learning Gus Bradley's system, all of a sudden he's learning uh, Patrick Graham's system, and then he gets hurt. And I don't know if we ever saw the best Trayvon Morig uh, last year. If he can bounce back, uh, I'd be more the player that he was as a rookie. All of a sudden, safety looks uh, a lot better. But there's no question that I think through the draft um, at cornerback, whether they go seven uh, and then also double up with another cornerback later on in the draft. And at safety, I think they'll, they'll walk away uh, out of this draft with, a, with another safety. Uh, there's, there's competition that's being built, being built or trying to be built, uh, and it's a youthful secondary. I, I went through it. I, it's by far their youngest position, uh, you know, part, of the, part of their defense and really uh, their entire team. I think the average age is 24.2 years per age. That's a very 
young secondary. There's nobody that's over 30 years old. I think the oldest is Brandon Faison. He might be, I think he's 28 or 29. So everybody else is 25, 26, 27, uh, 23. So it's an extremely young secondary. There is promise. And if they can, if they can uh, add some, some youth and, and really impact players through the draft, at least one impact secondary player, there's reason for hope for, the, uh, for, that, for that spot on the field. But guys have to step forward, like Trayvon Merrig and, and, and Nate Hobbs as well. Hey, Vinny, last one, if you can do it in under a minute or so, a little bit more than a minute. Uh, what do you, what's the difference between Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley's situation now as they're both franchise tag, one's with the Giants, one with the Raiders? Any comparison, anything similar? Well, I mean, I, you can you can you can probably make an argument that if you're Josh Jacobs, you're waiting for uh, Pollard and Saquon Barkley uh, to sign their uh, long-term deals, if it even comes uh, to that. Because you know, I think I think he's got an argument that he's better than both of those players. Obviously, had a better statistical year than than either of those two guys, even though both of those guys uh, had great seasons. So if you're if you're Josh Jacobs, you, maybe you're waiting to see what number they got, and then go to the Raiders and say, well, now this is what I want. You know, uh, whether it's a dollar more or a million dollars more, whatever the case is, he's going to want to make more uh, than those two players. So um, it, it's, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't fault Josh Jacobs for, for kind of taking that approach uh, just to wait and see and let somebody else kind of reset that market and then you swoop in and say, okay, well, this is what I want. The question is, would the Raiders be willing to pay whatever it is that those guys get paid? And I wrote... You know, it's a tough time for running backs. It's a tough time uh, to be a good running back in this league. Just by the way um, the NFL looks at uh, that position and how they value that position. It's not that the, it's not that the NFL doesn't like to run the ball. It does. Uh, but but it, more and more we're getting away from that one true, you know, guy that carries uh, the whole load uh, to more of a, you know, by committee type of a situation. Uh, and as a result, guys just aren't getting paid, and they're certainly not getting paid on those second contracts. So, um, you know, I'm sure Josh Jacobs is going to have a decision to make, as is Saquon Barkley and, 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 and Tony Pollard, because the economics of that position has changed dramatically, uh, and they just have to adjust to that. Uh, tell us about your tequila partner heading into the weekend in the draft. Yeah, no doubt about it. And what a better what better way to uh, to enjoy the draft uh, than uh, sipping on some uh, Dos Cotas while you're watching the draft. Uh, we love them for all the support that they've shown, uh, as is uh, the Realty One Group, um, you know, and the, the Neuropathy and Pain Center, of course, uh, of Las Vegas as well. And I know everyone's dialed in on the draft. Uh, this is, uh, you know, I hate to put it in this terms, but it's almost like a cavalry is coming <laughs> for the Raiders. We're talking about 12 picks uh, over the course of three days. That could turn into 14, 15 picks. Uh, depending on what Dave Ziegler uh, decides to do. So there's a lot of new players that are getting ready to become Raiders here pretty soon. I think there's a lot of excitement for that. Thank you, Vinny. Have a great weekend. Talk to you. You too, JT. That's Vinny Bonsignor joining us right here. Good to have him on. We'll have him on next week. A really big hit leading up to the draft. What we're doing on the draft as I'm anchoring it with Eric Allen right here from the Raider facility next Thursday from 3 to 5 p.m. Big show, one of my favorite shows of the year. Honored to be in this chair again as we get an opportunity to do that again. Hardcore Raider is up next on the Raider flagship. Go ahead. Hey, JT, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I wanted to see if uh, you could answer a question uh, for me, then uh, I'll kind of give my opinion. And, uh, you know, I'm not definitely not attacking you. I'm just curious in your opinion. So something I've thought about for years is, like, why in the NFL draft is there so many first-round picks and guys that are, like, really hyped up going into the draft end up just being complete wash or uh, just players that you forget about, we forget about, you know, and, and well beyond the Raiders, you know. 
why do you think there's so many players that, you know, get drafted high that end up being misses? Uh, because it's easy. They just they come in with so much hype that they don't do enough due diligence. They look like Tarzan, play like Jane is a term in the NFL. They look better on film and up close, and then they come in and they have a major flaw that we didn't see. It could be on the line or whatever. They're just missing something that isn't NFL-ready. I think if you look and dive into the history of the first round, a lot of first-round picks are the Hall of Famers and make it big, and the washouts get a lot more publicity. That's the easy answer. When a guy washes out of the first round, he gets a lot more publicity than a guy who busts out in the second or third round. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, football, as you know, is the greatest team sport. So, like, if you have a lot of individuals that are, like, Mm. super studs, but they can't work together as a team, that's a huge uh, flaw. You know, like Mm. my, you know, it's just high school football. But my high school football team, we had studs, a lot of studs. Uh We we could not work good as a team, and it hurt us. So we weren't as good as we could have been. But so my point is this. So I I do disagree with you on Max Crosby because Max Crosby defied odds. You know, he wasn't Mm. hyped. Um, he was scrawny going in, right. but he worked his tail off. You know what I mean? So there's always guys, and, and maybe it's luck or whatever, but there's always going to be guys that, like, fall. So, like, when I'm looking at, like, later round picks, and, and I don't have time to give it uh, now. I, I got to go quick. Just time. give me one pick. Go ahead. I, I got to run. I want the guys like JT the Brick that, you know, defied odds. It has, you know, mm-hmm. from what his past, and he's putting out a better product than before. So, like, third, fourth round, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. Okay. Uh, Isaiah Land, defensive end, Zach Harrison, and then linebacker uh, DeMarvion Overshone. Okay, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate that. Appreciate the call, my friend. i got to get to Mike North in a minute here. You want a guy who can cover better than JT the Brick. Thank you for the phone call. We appreciate it. Mike North is going to join us coming up next from Chicago. He's got a lot to say about Draymond Green and why did the Bears trade out of number one? We know they have Justin Fields, but why'd they move all the way back? We're going to ask him in the first 10 picks. He's a guy who knows the league as good as anybody. He'll join us next. In my opinion, he should be ejected. And I know that shows or sounds like partiality, but, and he is screaming at fans. Boy, their security job better, of course, better do a better job before something escalates here. Well, that's what happened on the Sacramento King call, and now Draymond is suspended. Now, last night on my SiriusXM show, I had the voice of the Warriors, big guest, considering this topic. This was right before Draymond was suspended for Game 3. My conversation with the four-time champion play-by-play voice, this is Tim Roy. Tim Roy, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Warriors, all those championships, one of the best in the business. Tim, good to talk to you again, and we were just mentioning Draymond before this. You know, I think if it's preseason, regular season, postseason, or championship, you're probably going to get kicked out of a game for the stomp. How'd you see it in real time, and what'd you think after it? Yeah, I, I thought I thought they came up with the the the, the correct ruling that uh, Draymond was not the instigator. Sabonis was. Sabonis got a technical, you know, and uh, you know if you're. If you've ever played any sort of competitive sport, if you're trying to go somewhere and some guy grabs your ankle, you're going to lash back. Now, should he have stopped him? No, absolutely not. That was the wrong thing to do. 
You know, if he just tried to shake his leg a little bit, maybe kick it loose, that would have been fine. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think they, I think they got it right. Um, and, uh, and I don't think there'll be a suspension. At least I don't think there should be because again, he didn't instigate this. He didn't start this. And so, um, so that, that I, I think they got it right. I think that, you know, I think it was definitely a flagrant. You can't do that. It's, it's, it's just not the, the, the correct way to respond to the situation, but in, in the heat of the moment, in a playoff moment, and, you know, the Warriors have been a little frustrated in the first two games and, you know, I understand his reaction a little bit, but I don't condone it. Tim Roy joins us. Yeah, that's exactly how I see it. And it happens in football when they hold on to a receiver's leg or tight end or a quarterback after a play. And it does get, got, does get the player on the receiving end really riled up and fired up. But normally, and at times in the NFL, we've seen the stomp and you called it that way. But I wanted to ask you, with all the games you called when Draymond was close to being ejected or was ejected, and then the Warriors reacted and it gave him the energy to close out and win a game, he wasn't on the court last night as Clay hit some back-to-back threes, looked like the Warriors had a chance to come from behind and win the game. What was the effect of Draymond Green not being out there late? Well, when Draymond's not on the floor, especially in a tight game late, you miss that defensive, uh, you know, savant where he reads the play, know what's coming, and makes a defensive play that, that you know, helps you win the game. And so that's what they missed coming down the stretch. You know, maybe that body that steps up in help mode and maybe makes De'Aaron Fox change his mind, doesn't give him that little runner in the lane that he is so good at. And so uh, that's, what they, that's what you miss when, when Draymond's not on the floor in a, uh, in a big game, playoff game. And, you know, his physicality, his ability to play without fouling, um, all of that. And, uh, you know, he's one of the smartest basketball players I've ever met. And, and so you miss that, you know. And But but really, to be honest with you, I think if you go back and look at that game, my, my own belief is, and, and Tom Tover and I were talking about this in our broadcast last night, I think this game, the, the tone to, to lose this game was set early with the turnovers because – their defense, I thought, in the first quarter was really good, but they threw about four cross-court passes that turned into steals and turned into dunks. And instead of maybe being up 12-2, it's 12-10. And, and so I think that's kind of set the tone for the game last night. Tim Roy's our guest. You know, Tim, with Andrew Wiggins being out, some load management, obviously injuries that all teams go through, it just doesn't seem like the Warriors' spacing is right. The extra pass, you've seen it from the perch there when they're moving the ball, making the extra pass. It's just easier for them because of how great they are with their spacing and being so familiar with everyone. Then you add in Durant a few years ago, he fits in. Wiggins fits in. But was this something that we should have expected maybe a game or two for them to get, not their cardio, but their rhythm back with their spacing and their passing, and they got to expect to do that on their home court in San Francisco here? No, oh, yeah, you have to do it. You know, JT, I went, down the, I went down the rabbit hole today, and I went back through all the Warrior playoff series ever in their history. They have now trailed 2-0 in a playoff series 12 times, and I don't count the old uh, school uh, series where, you know, if they uh, was best of three, right? So if they lost 2-0, that was it. That, I, you know, I, to, in my mind, you don't trail when you've lost 2-0. You're done. There's no trailing. You're, you're done. So uh, 12 times they've been down 12-0 in a playoff series with that criteria, and they've won only once. 
So they have to, you know, find a way to get these next two at Chase Center and and go back two two and make it a three game series. And so I I think they can, but but again, they have to kind of tighten up things and and keep the turnovers down. And if they do that, I think they're going to give themselves a, a nice chance to win. But yeah, with Wiggins, I think it's also. Um, you know, if I get reincarnated, I want to come back and get the Andrew Wiggins body to miss a month, a couple months, actually two months, and then, you know, be able to step back on the floor and and be able to do those things so quickly. I mean, he's, he's remarkable. It's great to see him back. And, uh, hopefully as, as this series goes on, if the Warriors can get a couple of wins here in San Francisco, that he can get better and better and better. Tim Roy, the longtime voice of the Warriors. You know, Tim, it's you haven't called a lot of De'Aaron Fox's uh, games. He's only been in the league for a short period of time. But what have you seen with his evolution, especially with the step back and the first step? Not many players have that. Steph Curry does. You call all of his games. Who can you compare De'Aaron Fox to in your career calling all these games? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. I haven't thought of that. Um, you know, he kind of reminds me, he's got, you know, with his quickness, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a tiny Archibald. But um, but he's really, you know, he's kind of unique. And, and, and as Steve Kerr pointed out, when he hits threes, then he's basically unguardable because you got to give him that shot and hope he, hopefully he may, misses a couple of those. And so uh, what I, I love about what, you know, he's done this year, and I think Mike Brown has a lot to do with this too, is that he's, he's given him confidence to, to – not only be himself, but to try to be better than that. And by that, I mean he's he's not only uh, making you know shots to the rim. I think in in the past uh, when he was younger, you know, as young players are do, they don't have that great decision making process yet. You know, they have they don't read plays as well. I think right now he's reading the opposition, reading the play as well as anybody you know at his position in the game. And and uh, he's he's going to be a handful not only in this series. But he's going to be a handful for the NBA for years to come. Tim, tell me about the rivalries. As long as I go back with you, it's really interesting. The rivalry now, everybody's a rivalry of the Warriors. It was kind of the same thing with the Raiders in the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, the Raiders didn't care about them, but I'll tell you, Denver hated the Raiders, and the Chargers hated the Raiders, and Kansas City's number one rival. They're all rivals with the Raiders. Warriors didn't have to worry about that. Neither did Sacramento. And then the Warriors build a dynasty, and now everybody's coming to get them. So when you were in Sacramento and saw the crowds, and to give Sacramento credit, those crowds were loud and good. They liked the beam and all that. What's changed in this rivalry here? Because Sacramento's coming, and they can taste it, but there's still some basketball left here. Yeah, they, I think it's the first time it's really been a rivalry because when the Warriors were bad, the Kings had that good run in the early 2000s, and then the Warriors got good, and the Kings were unfortunately stuck on that treadmill you know, for years of not making the playoffs. And so I, I, I think it's the beginning of a rivalry right now. But when you're the defending champion, you get everybody's best shot everybody every night out. That's one thing I've learned through this run, is that when you're the defending champions, there are no nights off. Nobody's going to show up and say, oh, it's the Warriors. We're not going to play hard. They, they come at you every single night. And so I think for Northern California basketball fans, I think this is great. And that the you know they finally have teams that are, are good at the same time, and, and maybe this is the start of something, and hopefully it you know it goes on because I think it's good for basketball, I think it's good for the NBA, the, in terms of to have 
you know, rivalries where maybe teams don't really like each other. Uh, when the Warriors started, it was the Clippers. Now it's kind of Memphis, and, and, and maybe now it's the Kings now. Who, who knows? But uh, And the other point I have to make here, JT, and you'll appreciate this, wouldn't Draymond Green been a great Raider in the 70s and 80s? <laughs> Oh, he would have. Been, he been would awesome. have been an unbelievable. <laughs> what position would you have him at, Tim? Would you have him at tight end, or where would you put him no, at linebacker? No, no, no. You have to put him on on the defensive <laughs> side. I would. You have to put him on the defensive side. I think maybe a linebacker where he can read and react because that's what he's really so good at. I think a linebacker. Yeah, Absolutely. Wrapping it up with Tim Roy. So, Tim, with this series here, one more thing. The Warriors have had so many riches with the draft, getting great draft players, the owner, an owner who doesn't mind going over the luxury cap, and then having the greatest shooter of all time, a top three to four shooter of all time in Clay. We mentioned Draymond for most of our conversation when it was really clicking with Poole and Kaminga and even the bench, you must have been calling these games going, oh, my God, there's great young players on the bench and you can't even get them in other than preseason or garbage time. Where does this team stand long-term, even with the playoffs here in front of us, with their depth going forward? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think this series will tell, you, tell us a lot about what's going to happen going forward because, you know, they're in a tough spot in terms of salary cap, obviously. They're way over the tax and, and, and the apron, and so – they have to figure that out, and then uh, their younger players, you know, are going to have to in the next couple of years, you know, move forward. They're going to have to become not only just rotation players, but guys that can carry you a little bit. And so that that's going to be the tough part of all this is get to accelerate the process of their young players. I think they can simply because athletes are playing longer now. You know, uh, you know, Steph Curry can still run guys ragged at his age because of the kind of shape he keeps himself in. But we, the other thing is, we all know father time is the only undefeated thing in sports. You know, you can only go so long, and and uh, your skills will diminish. It's a proven fact. So it's it's a really tough equation for them. Uh, it's been amazing to watch these guys and to think that, you know, when you look at Draymond, Clay, and Steph that the Warriors drafted all three of those guys. That's that's incredible in this era of free agency and trying to build super teams and all that, that you were able to do this organically and then build around it. That, that's been an amazing thing. Tim, always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Say hi to Tom for me, Big Al, your statistician, your whole broadcast team. You do a great job. We love going to you live some nights when I'm on the air, and, and getting a chance to talk to you really means a lot. All the best. Well, when I got Big Al and, and RC and, and Tom Tober, we're in our jumbo package, baby. We're, we're coming at you. <laughs> All right. That's Tim Roy, everybody. Thought it was important to hear that. The voice of the Warriors. It could be the end of their dynasty here if they don't take care of business at home. And Tim loves Raiders talk. Hear about that Draymond being a linebacker for the Raiders. Yeah. He's got the size to do it, the strength, the anger <laughs> issues to do it. Uh, Mike North's going to join us next, and James Smitty Smith at the bottom of the hour as we preview a great fight I'm going to, Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia at T-Mobile on Saturday.